Hello and welcome to Integral Teaching, presented by teachingintothefuture.com. My name is Diane Walters, and I've got a series of podcasts based on what I call the unfinished lesson, leaving room for the students. Let's get right to it. In the last episode, I was talking a lot about human connection between teachers and students, between students and each other and students and their parents, if the parents are the teachers. So I'm straddling both worlds here when I talk about learning itself and the connection to learning itself. And I think that it really comes from a level of inward active inquiry, which really dials it down to play. What is learning but a form of play mind? Whether you're looking at a child and youth playing, what you're really seeing is um, deep interest in the subject and full attentiveness and engagement, the likes of which you'd love to see in your math lessons and your science labs and your history units. So how do we get there? Well, first of all, you know, I began to play around with this idea of uh, working with student inquiry as a learning engagement tool. And that led me, of course, naturally to the constructivist approach to learning. The constructivist model calls attention to the role of the individual experience in knowing and learning, and that there are three constructs that I've learned about regarding constructivism. And one is that learning is an active process. The second is that the learner has prior knowledge. And the third, the learner takes responsibility for their own learning. And you could say that this completely aligns with Parker Palmer's subject-centered approach to learning, and it also aligns quite well with the Waldorf approach to learning. Outside of the fact that in constructivism, the learners construct knowledge for oneself. So it also meets the unschooling movement and the idea that learning is within us and we will be guided by way of our own interests as we emerge that forward. But that conflicts a little bit with the preset curriculum, whether it be public or private, Montessori or Waldorf, where you're actually looking at how you're guiding the child through the curriculum with things that they don't know yet. So as somebody who taught for an unschooling program for 10 years, I have to say that it was always a question. Well, if you don't bring curriculum to them, how do they know what they don't know yet? And I continued to explore this idea of working with a constructivist model of an inquiry-based subject lesson in all my lessons. So basically, it's also a Parker Palmer model of looking at what the children know already and then using that as a platform for the curriculum that I was going to bring. So I always worked first with what they knew and what their questions were, and then built up where I was going to go with what they didn't know yet. It's really looking at knowledge through experience, and that is a will-based education which aligns deeply with Waldorf belief systems that um, experience-based and will-based education is the first place to start in engagement. 
Though knowledge through experience is a will-based education and a concept that Steiner fully endorsed in Waldorf schooling, Steiner's overall cosmological view of the nature of what it means to be human allows for the idea that knowledge or ideas are actually ever-present spiritual realities. Steiner also stated that active participation in the classroom calls for the dynamic interplay between the active and the passive mind. He states that learning is a process of breathing. Samuel Taylor Coleridge said that when the world is active, we become passive. And I think that Steiner developed the idea by stating that teachers overcome the illusion that we are limited human beings. And he invited us as teachers and parents to imagine ourselves as a process in the cosmos, a breath drawn by the universe. So reverence for the human being, especially for our students, is the guiding principle behind Waldorf education, by, behind Parker Palmer's educational practice. Actually, it's behind most things, whether it's called reverence or not. You could call it respect. And it's present when teachers are able to listen to the in-between spaces between active and passive mind. English philosopher Owen Barfield's guide in terms of the learning process is to learn to weave the half-given and half-created aspects of how we think into the classroom. So I began to play with this quite a bit. Where was I presenting my subject to the students? And where was I inviting comment and question? And I was thinking of it as a breathing process. So a little bit of exhale would be my presentation and inhale when I'm literally inhaling the inquiry coming from my students. I did a fair bit of action research over the course of three years, which of course is leading to this podcast. And I'll tell you more about that in future podcasts. But by working with looking at the half-presented, half-received, teachers can read the needs of the children and of the class like a hidden imprint that lies open for study and reflection. Leaving room for the half-presented and half-received could become a conscious act of balance between the presentation of our material given by teachers or by parents and that of student creation through participation. It's harder to do when you have an entirely online curriculum where the student is being guided with no breath all the way through it rather than being a participant they're in a constant state of receiving, which one of my thesis advisors many years ago called sit and get education. So instead of working with sit and get, however dynamic our lessons, we need to work with that spirit of constructive education, that construct that we are bringing inquiry and involvement and participation to the table of learning itself. So Waldorf methodology emphasizes authenticity and connectivity and a very strong multifaceted participation in the classroom. And I began to look at their approach as an approach to how we could work with play 
And that, of course, led me to Huizinga's research on the nature of humans and play in a book that he wrote called Homo Ludens in 1952. Well, this was before my time, but I found it as incredibly relevant now as it was then. Huizinga identifies the spirit of play element in culture to be one that embraces a connection with divine spiritual forces, with the realities of the present day, which is very strongly Steinerian. When I look at that, really, I think, what are divine spiritual forces? What about really looking at, in a non-religious sense, what does that mean? Well, for me, it means looking at everything with reverence, looking at it with respect. I'm reading a book right now by David Abram called The Spell of the Sensuous. Highly recommend it. And it really looks at how we can, in our minds and in full participation of our perceptions, we can enter into the, what he calls the other worlds, which is the language of things that are not human but are life-filled, the language of animals, the language of a bird call, the language of the stars reflecting themselves in the water or a sunbeam on the forest path or in your living room. But what is that language and what is that sensory experience that we are learning from? And my question is, is how do we make sure that we teach that to our children? That we teach that level of reverence and respect for the earth and all things animate, and inanimate, what has led us to this current cataclysmic crisis in ecological disaster or educational paradigms that have boxed learning into a measurement system? Instead of looking at the diversity and the ecology of an education that branches out and continues to grow and develop as a life force or biology of life would grow. So playing with these ideas encouraged me to really research the nature of play itself and one that I wanted to be separate from cultural associations. Incorporating a sense of playfulness in all of my lessons really worked with Rudolf Steiner's assertion that with the child's play, we can only create preconditions for an education. What is accomplished in play, he said, basically happens through the self-activity of the child, through everything that cannot be confined to strict rules. He said, indeed, the essential educational aspect of play is based on the fact that we call a halt to our rules and to all our arts of education, and we leave the child to his or her own impulses. When playing with external objects. The child can try out whether this or that will work through their own activity. They bring their own will into activity and into movement. Because of the way in which the external objects behave under the influence of the will, it then happens that the child educates themselves for life simply through play in a completely different way than through the influence of an older person or of somebody's pedagogical principles. So the play of a younger child is always esteemed to be of great value, both in Waldorf schools and in kindergarten and preschools, probably around the planet. But then we take that away from them, and we begin to box our learning. 
So my question is, how do we work with those play-based learning strategies up through the grades? And for that, many years ago, I had turned to then-futurist Daniel Pink, which was all the way back in 2005, but again as relevant now as it was then. He celebrated play as a fundamental human trait, which, when actively engaged in, promotes and fosters empathy, joy, well-being, and connection with life. Well, if that isn't what being human is and raising our children to understand themselves and one another in a relationship of possibilities, I don't know what it means. But what does it mean for us in the classroom? How do we bring sensitivity and openness and trust that are involved in the aspect of play in all ages to find our full humanity and community and our learning environments so that they become a seed for developing our social capacities and our social capabilities. It really works with imbuing our content with our level of authenticity and a level of improvisation, leaving room for the students while developing the integrity of a liberal curriculum. So I put that to practice while I was teaching a grade six in Toronto a number of years ago, and I wanted to cover South American geography. And so I decided to completely change it up. First of all, I introduced the Parker Palmer model of subject-centered and asked them what they already knew about the subject in South America. Through that, I got to find out that somebody had been born in South America, others went to Costa Rica every other year with their families and in the course of that a connection between South America and the students was born and formed. Then I touched into the food and cultural aspect and we talked about traditional South American dishes and it went on from there until I got into all aspects of South American geography that included flora and fauna and cultural historical developments. All of this went beyond my expectations for teaching a unit on South American geography. I began to work with the idea of play through improvising a series of questions that I had the students write themselves. So I broke them up into groups, and they all had to construct a series of sentences based on all aspects of South America, from the history, geography, culture, science, everything, and that they, they came up with three questions that they submitted, which I, of course, typed into a quiz with answers. And then that became a little bit like Jeopardy. I began to work with it in the morning where I gave them the full sheets of questions and answers of questions that they had come up with themselves. And of course, I was allowed to bring in some of my own questions, and I filled in the, some of the missing gaps there that I wanted them to learn. And so they completely identified with the subject matter in such a strong way. And I started getting phone calls from the parents basically exclaiming that the kids have studied like they've never studied before. They all wanted to know the answers so that they could win in the classroom Jeopardy game that we ourselves were creating each day. We were making up the rules and regulations as a class as it went through. 
and they were, I would say, 100% engaged. They were so excited they wanted to turn the next unit block into a Jeopardy game as well. And we just shifted it up a little bit. So this is my example of how do we learn through play. We engage by the way a young child engages with our full attention and by involving the students in the answers instead of expecting them to sit and get the answers. We teach through play, whether at home or at school, through a living engagement with the world and with the expectation that we're doing a little bit of the half-given, half-created, in a breathing process, every single moment of our learning delivery as an experimenter rather than a presenter. Now, if you're working in a digital online learning platform at this point, I think that we can still work with improvisation and live learning platforms through breakout rooms, through inquiry-based questions where the students are coming up with their own questions around the given subject, whatever the age group. I think this is really important for grade 1 to grade 12, and I've worked with that successfully. At this point, new apps are coming out weekly that engage students with their own personal life story. Flipgrid is one of them that I've used successively. Padlet is another where you can really create a living dynamic online. It also requires their presence. So we can't forget that the social, emotional aspect of connection with students and their learning and students with each other is absolutely integrally important to the to education itself. And, uh, and so we can't accept cameras off. And I think when we do, we begin to show them that they can multitask in a wide variety of environments, only half receiving something if they feel like it or not, rather than engage with their full attention. So I'll close this podcast with a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson, one of my favorite quotes that I used to use in the classrooms in a brick-and-mortar school as well as online. You are your attention. Thank you for listening to Integral Teaching, presented by Teaching Into the Future, and I hope to see you again. If I piqued your interest, it would really help if you would rate my show either by a like or giving me your personal rating. I'm just starting out here, and I've got a whole lot more for you. So stay tuned for my next podcast.